Hello trainers and welcome to the Play Pokemon podcast, your official Pokemon organized play podcast. We're incredibly excited to bring you this brand new show focusing on the Players' Cup, an online tournament series happening this summer in Pokemon Tournament DX, the Pokemon trading card game online, and VGC battles in Pokemon Sword and Shield. My name is Jay Blake and I'll be your host and resident Pokemaniac for the next few weeks as we get you prepped and ready to watch all the finals in all three games. On the show this week, for TCG and VG, it's a little bit of a lull week, so we're going to be talking you through some stats, top Pokemon used, top decks used, weeks one to three, get you prepped and ready to see the wider context of what might be happening in the finals. And for Pokemon, it's an absolutely huge week. We are getting you ready to know the players who have qualified for the first ever Players' Cup Finals. Whew, that's a lot to get through. Luckily, it won't just be me talking you through it. I have some fabulous ace trainers with me week to week. It'll be a rotating cast. And for this week, representing the video game, we have Kay Dyson. How's it going? Hey, Jay. Going well. How are you? I am excellent. I am incredibly, incredibly ready to talk to you about Rillaboom. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> Tapu Boom Boom. He's here. Yeah, the drums are pounded in my heart. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. So, Kay, we'll be talking about VGC in a little bit. Our next guest is going to be representing the trading card game. He is the man with a Mew pin. It's Jeremy Jallen. Hello, yeah. Excited to be here. How's it going, dude? How's things? Uh, it's going well. Uh, Players' Cup has just wrapped up week three and looking forward to the finals and it's going to be exciting. Uh, yeah, I've been watching like a hawk all the TCG games and there's been some incredible drama that I'm really hoping we can get a little bit into with the stats. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it, it's just been great and seeing a lot of the uh, players choose their decks and pilot it the way they do. It's been really great to see. Thank you so much. We'll be catching up with Jeremy a little bit later on. Last and by no means least, representing Pokémon Tournament DX, we have Brendan Hansen. How's it going, dude? Jay, it's going so well. Excited to pick up some uh, Synergy Gauge crystals and get into talking about these potential champions in the finals. How are you? I am so ready. Pokémon Tournament has been giving me life over the last few weeks. The high energy, high octane, and I know that you're going to bring exactly that to the conversation because you just love Pokémon so much. Yeah, I, I can't wait. It's it's an amazing game uh, filled with amazing players and characters, and there's just so much to love about it. Trainers at home, you've seen our roster of ace trainers. Let's get into things with some VGC. Into team preview now for VGC with Kay Dyson, and we got some really interesting data to go through. Top 20 Pokemon used in weeks one to three of the Players' Cup. And we gave a little bit of a spoiler for it earlier on, but in number one, it's our good friend, Rillaboom. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> yeah, the, I think all the top three Pokemon are a bit of a, who would have thought? We've got Rillaboom in at number one, we've got Incineroar in at number two, and bringing up the rear, which surprisingly enough, Togekiss was the number one Pokemon for a very long time, but it's Togekiss in at number three. Yeah, I mean, so Togekiss has been um, really at the top of the Battle Stadium uh, ranked battles ladder ever since Sword and Shield came out, pretty much. Incineroar, as we all know, is no stranger to being uh, towards the top of the usage stats, but Rillaboom. Now, this mm. is a new one. Yeah, some serious monkey business going on to get this Pokemon in at number one. I'm so sorry. I couldn't, <laughs> I can't keep a straight face. <laughs> anyway, yes, Rillaboom is exceptionally good. It was an a interesting Pokemon to begin with. It has access to some really good stats, HP, attack, defense, moderate speed, fake out, snarl, knockoff, wood hammer. And then we got grassy terrain. It got its hidden ability through Pokemon home. And then we got the Isle of Armor. And then it got grassy glide, which is a priority attack when you're in grassy terrain. And Rillaboom is amazing. I mean, it's kind of just been all things coming up Rillaboom recently. Um, you mentioned sure. your speed, but who needs speed when you have fake out and grassy glide and you can set up your own grassy terrain? Gotta go fast. That's the <laughs> ultimate thing. It's a really efficient Pokemon. And I think that's the, the most important thing here, right? Like a lot of the Pokemon that we're going to see in this top 20 do multiple things very well. And they do a lot of things passively as well, which benefits the rest of the team. And grassy terrain's healing effect, it heals a little bit of damage at the end of every turn, is super, super nice for that. And Rillaboom, with its already good physical stats, then bolstered by the Assault Vest, which is the number one item on it, which has almost 60% usage, is just so good at helping it to be able to survive longer and allow it to pivot out, maybe using U-turn or just a straight switch to be able to bring that grassy terrain in and end game people with really fast grassy glides. 
I think it speaks a lot to Rillaboom's utility and its power that being a grass type, which is, as we already know, historically not um, a type that necessarily has the easiest time in VGC, mm. shall we say, but it somehow managed to top the usage rankings when the other, like the other friends surrounding it, are uh, Togekiss, who is a flying type. Incineroar, who is a fire type. Cinderace, who spends half its time as a fire type and half its time as a time as a flying type. Yeah, I can see where you're going with this. And yeah, I think uh, the, the situation around Rillaboom just goes to show how impactful this Pokemon has been. And we mentioned Togekiss before how incredibly powerful and I think oppressive is a word to describe it as well because there are two very dominant sets for Togekiss. You have the bulkier version, which allows you to redirect attacks and support your team using Yawn, or you've got the all-out aggro, I'm going to crit through everything, scope lens, razor claw version, whatever flavor you like. Um, and both of them do uh, a surprisingly good job in this metagame of being able to support a lot of bulkier Pokemon that allow you to be a bit more flexible or just go, you've got Rillaboom in the back. I'm going to make sure I outspeed you. You can't do much to me with Grassy Glide. I'm going to crit everything. If you'd asked me a year ago, so what set are we going to see on Togekiss in every VGC um, season in, for the entirety of the future? I would never, ever have guessed it's um, it's Superluck and it's holding a scope lens and it lands crits. I'd have said the classic, which was historically the Serene Grace flinch-inducing set that Togekiss was so well known for and I'm gonna say well loved for question mark yeah I, I was just about to say like when you put it that way it does make me realize how annoying Togekiss can be oh but it's so cute <laughs> yeah yeah it's got that blithe smile about it which is like yes I'm here I'm doing an excellent job aren't I and for the most part it really is good job Togekiss um, we've talked about Rillaboom a fair amount and I think this kind of leads us into our next key observation, which is that there are a certain set of three types of Pokemon that a lot of top trainers are using. And that would be a core based around, you guessed it, from the trainer school, fire, water, and grass types. And Rillaboom, we've already mentioned, hey, it's a grass type. Fire types, we have multiple flavors of them, and two of them provide some key Intimidate support. Intimidate has always been a really key ability in the video game championship series, uh, lowers the attack of both of the uh, opponent's Pokemon, and the fact that there's Incineroar and Arcanine still squeaking into decent usage that, that, that get it, it's such an important utility to have. Yeah, especially, as we mentioned, Rillaboom, physical traits, there's a lot of other physical, physically-minded Pokemon Cinderace doesn't appreciate being intimidated at all. Tyranitar, Excadrill really don't appreciate and intimidate. Incineroar versus Arcanine gives you different dilemmas when you're team building. Arcanine is naturally faster, much faster, and has access to Will-O-Wisp to be able to support the team by giving lasting debuffs to your attack stat, or the opponent's attack stat. Whereas Incineroar uh, is kind of a, a very agile cat. It likes to get in, intimidate, and then say a nasty word and parting shot out, lowering the attack and special attack stat of the opposing Pokemon it lands on as well. So it, it jumps in and out. Both of these Pokemon like to be on the field, uh, just putting a little bit of pressure onto the opposing physical attackers. And I think that's a really interesting thing that we're going to see later on in this format, especially into the latter half of the Players' Cup itself, how trainers are building around those two particular Intimidate users. It's important as well to not understate the importance of Fake Out on Incineroar. Uh, even mm. in today's metagame, uh, where flinch isn't as prevalent, of course, as it once was, there's still a lot of Pokemon that are going to be vulnerable to it. And be having that pressure, whether or not you actually use Fake Out, the first turn that Incineroar's on the field, your opponent has to think, will they? Won't they? And it forces mind games. The other thing I think that's uh, leading, segueing into the water section of this trio, we've seen uh, water type usage, particularly in Primarina and Lapras. We've seen them on stream a lot of uh, a lot of times, uh, both from the Invitational um, and the Qualifier streams from all three weeks. I'm actually quite surprised we haven't seen more Milotic use. Having a water type user, as we've said, it's uh, very beneficial for quite a few of the fire types that are around, uh, but Milotic gets the competitive ability, which when Intimidate mm. is around, uh, seems like, it seems like it might be beneficial. We've seen it used, we've seen it used by uh, both Wolf Glick and Jonathan Evans, uh, very uh, highly accomplished trainers in their own right. Uh, I'd really like to see Milota get a bit more use actually. I really like the grassy seed variant that's been knocking around that Jonathan Evans used on stream. I think that's very cool. I think all the three water types that you've brought up there do very important and very different things. The bulk from Primarina plus the liquid voice ability turning Hyper Voice into a water type, same type attack boosted move, 
means that it's a more damaging focused Pokemon. It lends itself very nicely to Trick Room. Um, it has some key fairy coverage as well. Lots of different options that you can play with if you're looking for a water type that deals mostly damage, but still has bulk. Lapras, obviously we've seen Gigantamax Lapras put in a lot of work. It's been a Pokemon that's been increasing in popularity. And I think the way that it was used in the Players' Cup is very pivotal to understanding the mindset of players now. Like it's a very more aggressive approach to it. Um, with Life Orb, with Fake Tears being very, very aggro. Whereas there's also the Light Clay version where you can set up Aurora Veil using um, the, the G-Max Resonance attack. And at last the opponent, we saw a really, really in interesting use of that from Eduardo Ferraris on stream. He used Porygon 2 alongside a very bulky Lapras with Life Dew, and it just caused so many problems for opponents. And I think it depends on what team you're wanting to build and how you want to construct, what your game plan is. If you're a more defensive-minded player, an opportunistic player, like you want to get those competitive boosts and be efficient with Milotic, which does both the defense thing and the attack thing very well. Or if you want to go all-out aggro with Pre-Marina and get some big damage off whenever you can. I think those are some really, really interesting options. I mean, Lapras can do both. Like, what more can you ask for? You can have the life orb mm. and you can do some big stompy damage or you can have light play and merrily protect you and your teammate and sit there and just sort of laugh at your opponent. Lapras kind of suffers in, in Gigantamax damage, though. Mm. Obviously, it has a thing that it does very, very well. It gets up Aurora Veil and it pushes out a lot of defensive capabilities for your team. But sometimes it can feel a little bit lacking in its Gigantamax form, I which is what that. that life orb set was trying to do. Um, whereas the other options maybe a little bit more flexible. Pre-Marina, definitely. It's got a wider range of coverage moves that will be able to do some increased damage to the opponent. And I think this is an interesting time to be a water type in the meta game. There's lots of different options for you, which is quite cool. One thing that we mentioned a little bit ago is that Porygon 2 is back in the format. And Porygon 2 is also the leading Trick Room user of this moment from the Players' Cup. Dusclops has been the Trick Room user of choice all the way through VGC 20, I feel like. And now it's got a rival who also loves using the Eevee Light item. And it's one of the most frustrating things to see either Dusclops or Porygon 2 in the opposing trainer's team. I think that poor Dusclops has suffered from the introduction of Poltergeist, which it's a very cool move. Mm. Um, mm. But Dusclops, uh, firstly, like is always going to be holding like the Eviolite and is a ghost type. And so if the sun, like Dusclops, laughs at damage, it sponges it up. So to suddenly have something that can hit it really quite hard, it's not going to enjoy that. Whereas Porygon 2, as a normal type, is just sort of sitting there, doing his thing, trick rooming, recovering. As you mentioned, recover, it's really important to Porygon 2 because it does have really good bulk outside of the Eviolite anyway, as does Dusclops. But you're not reliant on your opponent as you are with Dusclops to get your health back. The pain split on Dusclops relies on your opponent having higher HP than you to be able to get a, a better average HP back. Whereas Porygon 2 can just directly be like, no, I want some health, give it to me, and takes <laughs> it whenever it wants. And with access to the ability download, you can get some key boosts as well. Another efficient way of using a Pokemon to be able to set the thing that you want, Trick Room, but also get some nice damage out of it through Ice Beam, through Tri-Attack, through Thunderbolt. There's lots of different options. I think Porygon 2 has proven itself far and away uh, as a really good Pokemon to be using across multiple VGC formats 2017 most directly. But I feel like it's going to have a very, very large impact moving through into the finals here for the Players' Cup. I mean, he's a familiar, it's a familiar face, isn't it, Paragon 2? Mm. Um, one thing that I find quite interesting about Dusclops, um, as people may know, the Pokemon Players' Cup was an open team list format. This means that both players uh, could see the opponent's team list going into the match. Minus stats, but they could see ability, held item, moveset, etc. Now, Dusclops is generally uh, known for using the ability Frisk, which shows you the opponent's held item, obviously. Yeah, the creepy hands. <laughs> oh, it's the creepy the hands. The creepy hands frisking through. Oh, oh no. Ugh. Why? Why would you say that? Jay. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Derailed. Anyway, go on, go on. Like, if you have your opponent's team list in front of you, you already know the held item, so you might as well run the pressure ability instead and just chip mm. down the, the PP usage a little bit. However, only 50% uh, of the Dusclops in the Players' Cup were running pressure. Still about half of them were running Frisk. I wonder if people just didn't have time or didn't see the, um, the necessity to try to train a new Dusclops for the tournament. Of course, mm. uh, Isle of Armour didn't come out too long before the, start, before the start of the qualifiers. Also, while pressure is 
objectively, I'm going to say better than Frisk in an open team list format. The advantage that you actually gain from it might be minimal compared to the time you'd have to spend training up the new Dusclops. Yeah, I think that's probably where a lot of traders just thought, you know what? Just Actually, air. I'm just going to just keep air. going with it. I, I've got this team. I want to press. I want to make sure that I'm practicing more, and I think that's fair enough. I also, while we're still on the topic of Trick Room, Porygon sitting in at number seven on the using rank on the usage rankings for Players Cup, thirteenth for Dusclops. There is no sign of Hatterene in the top twenty, and I think that's a Pokemon that a lot of people were worried about going into the Players Cup. It gains access to Expanding Force alongside its. Mean girl, partner in crime, indeedy, female form. <laughs> the combination of the two of them getting boosted psychic type damage is incredible. But the next big observation that we have from the top usage stats is for weather. And the dominant weather setter in at number four is Tyranitar. And a, just a Pokemon that poses such big problems for Hatterene. And probably a reason why a lot of Dusclops usage has gone down too. I think the other thing is that some, as you say, they're the mean, they're the mean girl crew together. Uh, in some true high, uh, high school drama, I think Indeedy has overtaken Hatterene as the Ooh. as the psychic type damage dealer, which can't oh. have gone down well. You've got to assume there isn't a Christmas card being sent this year. You can't sit here. <laughs> you can't sit with us. <laughs> Hatterene is wearing pink. But it's true what you say about Tyranitar, putting aside the high school drama of the psychic types. So we mention it in a, we in a weather context, and obviously the weather benefits Tyranitar greatly. It gets the special defense rays, as we've mentioned, there mm. are quite a few water types around, but they are all special water type attackers. Rillaboom obviously is a, is a physical attacker, but you know, you, you try not to switch your Tyranitar into a Rillaboom grass attack. Historically, Tyranitar has enjoyed setting up sand for its teammates, but we found its teammates are actually relying on it a little bit less. Excadrill and Tyranitar are still friends. They're, they're still hanging out. BFFs. Yeah, you know, you, they're, they're, they're not going to let a little thing, a little thing like a like Dynamax existing, break their friendship. But Excadrill has actually started. About half of them are running Mole Breaker these days. They now have other friends who are also capable of racing their speed with something such as Max Airstream. As we mm. said, Togekiss is everywhere and can either Max Airstream or Tailwind. Even Cinderace can max airstream. I think Sand is, I think, more for Tyranitar's own benefit these days. And he's okay with that. You know, he's independent. Also, Excadrill, a Pokemon that pressures a lot of good Pokemon, right? Like uh, the max Steel Spike for Togekiss is very, very beneficial. Also, if you're running Mold Breaker, you can hit Rotoms in all forms. Oh, love to be able their to ability hit a is cancel. Perfect, perfect, perfect. And I think, yeah, we mentioned how Cinderace can support alongside Excadrill as well. And the ability to become a flying type at any point is just fantastic. It shows why it's in number six of the usage stats. It's a perfect Pokemon. It's it just the Libero ability, just allowing you to change your same type attack boosts whenever you want, change your type is phenomenal. Alongside the sand core that you see, we also have other weather cores that are not so strong at the moment, Torkoal and Venusaur, which is a problematic duo that people thought would be very, very difficult to face going into this tournament. Hasn't performed as well. It's Torkoal's in 10th and Venusaur is around the 18th position in the top usage stats. And that's surprising. Um, I thought that we'd see a lot more Venusaur usage, but that kind of makes sense when you think about Tyranitar being the number one weather setter. A lot of more weathers focus on the damage output that you get from them. Sun boosts fire type attacks, war uh, rain boosts water type attacks. Whereas sand is a lot more just cancelling out things. You get the special defense boost. Tyranitar is kind of a bundle of stats anyway, so you don't really mind too much. bundle of stats? I love that. I mean, don't tell it. Don't tell it. I told it. I called it that. I but won't. I won't. Whatever. The ability for Venusaur to be able to hit Tyranitar for massive amounts of damage. The weather war. It, it's it's problematic. It's difficult to play with. And Tyranitar might be able to get in with its sand stream up and then just boost with the weakness policy. Uh, I think there's a lot of interactions there that kind of mean that it's not so easy to do. It surprises me that Rain is so low on the usage stats. Uh, when the uh, Isle of Armour DLC came out. And I looked down the list of Pokemon that were included on it. I, I saw Politoed and I saw Kingdra and I thought, hey, the gang are back together. But they're not really, like, they're seeing decent-ish usage, but they're certainly not dominating in ways they used to. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that we saw it a couple of times on stream. Estefan Valdebenito used it on stream. And I, I know that there's been a few players who really still believe in this. Um, but it has proved itself to be quite difficult to use, especially considering that Without the rain support, Kingdra really struggles, whereas Aww. a lot of the other Pokemon that we've said that rely on their weather setter partners can still function outside of it a little bit easier. And maybe this is something that players going into the final stage of the Players' Cup are going to think, I'm not going to really rely on rain too much going forward. Going into the finals, Jay, is there a Pokemon that you would love to see get used? 
Yes, I would love Corviknight. I think Corviknight has Corviknight. a fantastic... Yeah, I think it has a fantastic role against top four Pokemon. De- deals with them quite effectively, especially if it's running a defense-boosting move like Iron Defense or Bulk Up. I think it's got a really interesting place in the meta game. How about UK? I think Urshifu for me. The players in the Players' Cup qualifiers had to uh, confirm and lock in their teams very early on in this very new meta game, And I do wonder if since then um, Urshifu has kind of de- like developed more into its role, if people have been playing around with it a little bit more. I mean, it still was on, with the two forms combined, it was on 30% of the teams in week three, which is still super impressive. Ooh, nice. Um, I think there's still a good, there's a lot of discovery to be made with Urshifu. I'm looking forward to seeing how it develops. Yeah, it feels like a traditional cleaner, like end game cleaner, um, which with Unseen Fist being able to break protect sounds very, very good to me. But there's one more week before we get to see what the trainers are going to be using in the finals. This has obviously just been week one to three. So we're really excited to see what qualifying trainers will want to bring and who is going to take the crown of the Players' Cup champion. Kay, thank you so much for your time. Let's move on to TCG. And coming off the bench this week for TCG, we have Jeremy Jallen, and we've got some interesting data to look at from weeks one to three of the competition. Just a moment ago with Kay, we went through a similar thing for VGC. And I think the story of how Dex made it through to the qualifying stage, which Dex were the final select few, the top 16, uh, is really interesting for trainers at home to look at. Yeah, so it started out with Dragapult VMAX being the number one deck played overall Except for Oceania, Oceania, Pikachu, and Zekrom GX, the the good old tag team that's been around forever now, oh, yeah. uh, has stayed dominant and was actually the number one deck in Oceania. Uh, and then it goes down a little bit further. We got Blacephalon in the top five, as well as Spirit Tomb. It really kind of was a good mix of the top five decks uh, in week one going into the tournament. And then going into week two, you saw a lot of those rogue decks pop up. You have uh, Colin Mall's Inteleon VMAX Omastar deck that uh, we featured on stream. It was really cool and exciting to watch. Just the kind of absolute lock that you can get uh, if your opponent doesn't really play the right cards. Yeah, scary. Really, really scary. Watching that game gave me heart palpitations just purely from the fact that when when Colin was able to actually finally set up, just like, what do you do? How do you, how do you even come against this? This wasn't a deck that I was prepared for in this tournament. It, it was pretty crazy to see. Uh, and then uh, Mike Fouché coming in with Spirit Tomb, really just showing us how the deck should be played. He's one of the like creators of the original list, and honestly, it, it was just great to see him play it too. Oh, especially in a, a game against Dragapult, right? Where yeah. that is the matchup that Spirit Tomb wants to be in, even though it's not as straightforward as you might think, considering the weakness. There is a bit of a uh, intricate dance, I will call it, between those two decks. And even though you can obviously absolutely slam a Dragapult VMAX with Anguish Cry, Anguish Cry, that's how you pronounce those words, um, <laughs> you can definitely do that. But there's also just so many Max Phantoms that you've got to worry about, and damage placement becomes very, very difficult for both trainers. It looks like they kind of need to bring their abacus with them just to even navigate the matchup. Oh, yeah. And thankfully, Mike's a math teacher, so he had that Boom. unlock. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> it, it, it was definitely interesting to see, too, just because with those top five decks, they were really popular in the format, enough so to where a lot of the other decks that you might want to see or maybe see like on the on the border a little bit, uh, something like the Chinchino Mill decks uh, really were so popular once before and now they were kind of just falling by the wayside. There was two left in week three, but unfortunately they couldn't pull through. Yeah, and I think, like you said, they were kind of in their, their waning twilight years going into the Players' Cup, and only eight players actually brought Chinchino Meal. So two players, grad- or two players going into week three with that deck is still quite a good success rate considering oh, the yeah. small number of players when you've got something like Pikachu, Zekrom, or Dragapult VMAX, which had astronomical numbers, but still obviously dominating the top tables for week three. I think a good point to jump off here as well for Pikachu, Zekrom, GX, as well as Dragapult VMAX, is that that's been a a vying top-tier usage for both of those decks. Dragapult VMAX going into week one, most used deck. And that kind of flipped in week three, where a lot of the Dragapult VMAX players had started to be whistled out and... Pikachu and Zekrom, old trusty, old faithful, brought it back and was the top deck going into week three. 
Yeah, uh, it took six uh, spots uh, into the finals, but uh, the Pikachu and Zekrom, it really is just a deck that is resilient. Uh, it has the mm. speed, it has the firepower, and when Dragapult VMAX is kind of the best deck going into it, you tend to have the kind of kickback of, well, now I know I need to play these cards to try and beat Dragapult and prepare my deck to beat Dragapult. And some people maybe forgot about Pikachu and Zekrom, and it's like, hey, I'm still here. I'm still really good at this game. As we said on this, as we said on this podcast, Oceania loves Pikachu and Zekrom Tag Team GX, and the match between TJ Dixon and Marcus Raj just kind of gave you an overview on the miracles that can be performed by Pikachu and Zekrom, just coming out of literally nowhere to do disgusting damage, frankly. Yeah, uh, it, it's crazy to see. You have cards like Electro Power to just boost your damage out of nowhere. And the fact that you have four copies of it, uh, it really can turn the tide in a matchup, especially if you're able to draw them in the right time. Pikachu and Zekrom is one of those decks that pretty resource dependent, but you burn through those resources fast with cards like the Dene GX and Professor's mm. Research. It's an aggressive deck in terms of the damage output, but also in the way that you play it. A lot of players really like to be a bit more fast and loose with the way that they try and dig for resources when using Pikachu and Zekrom. And the deck kind of flourishes in that in that regard compared to some others where you'd want to be a bit more patient, like Dragapult VMAX. You generally are wanting to try and conserve the resources that you have because you know how important things like getting your energies in place at the right time are. Yeah, uh, a lot of the lists for Dragapult uh, we've seen throughout the, the regional qualifiers for the Players' Cups uh, kind of took a little inspiration from Tord Reklov's winning list in the Invitational. He mm. went for a very consistent, straightforward, almost four of everything deck. People were like, wow, that, that is actually pretty good way to play this Dragapult deck. We have seen a few variations of it, uh, cards like a 1-1 Malamar being added into it. It's probably the most popular addition yeah. into the deck. Uh, yeah. And then we have someone like Tim Bartell that we saw on stream playing four Crushing Hammer, uh, being able to pull apart a mirror uh, with just disgusting energy denial. Absolutely dominant game on stream, wasn't it? It was hard to watch, I think, as well. Like Just to see when, when hammers work, boy, do they work. And his deck was actually the only Dragapult plus Crushing Hammer deck to actually make it through into the qualifying stages. Just showing how having such a low resource attacking Pokemon, only two energies, but does the thing that it needs to do very, very well, sending those Dreepies to the bench, spreading the damage, getting key swing turns when you can get like two to four to five prizes in one go. Just shows that you can actually play around a little bit with the things that are going on in the background and it won't hurt too much. I think a lot of trainers might have been worried about the weight of the line that they want to use with Inkay and Malamar. If they use a 2-2, is it going to be too distracting from the actual core of the deck? Whereas Tim able to actually put in four of those crushing hammers and make it work and by himself much needed time when he is lacking the energy but also add additional aggro especially with giratina being able to deny special energies as well yeah and you hit it best all you really have to do is buy uh buy time dragapult vmax takes two manually attack manual attachments uh to use max phantom and once you're able to use max phantom that's when the game kind of goes into easy mode you're just, mm. I'm going to try to use Max Phantom for the rest of the game for every turn from now on. But you just need to get there and kind of slow your opponent down to do the same. And Tim found a way to do it, and it pulled off for him. We've been flirting around the idea of talking about what the final decks that qualified <laughs> for the Players' Cup are going to be. And let's just go down the list a little bit here. So in, in top place, Pikachu and Zekrom GX with six decks in total. Dragapult VMAX in four, so that kind of puts to bed at this, this stage of the competition where trainers really valued that deck. Then next up, a deck archetype that we haven't spoke too much about here, Zacian V with Jirachi Prison Star. There's three decks uh, that have qualified through that, and Combozation, as it's known, lovingly known, um, <laughs> is a very, very cool setup that you can get going. And also just Zacian V is potentially just one of the best cards in the format. Yeah, uh, Zacian was super popular ever since it was spoiled, and it kind of took this evolution, uh, no pun intended, to yeah. uh, go through the format where it was paired with Arceus Dalgopalkia GX for a while, and mm -hmm. then we even saw like it was still very popular uh, leading up to the Invitational. The Invitational was kind of weird. Eight players uh, trying to just counter metagame each other, didn't really see it popular there. But while the Invitational was being played, 
just the metagame in general kind of evolved into this combo Zacian where it's a very extremely hard deck to play. And to get the sequencing right takes a lot of practice and time. But when you're able to pull it off, the amount of plays and just combos this deck can pull off is insane. The utility of Oranguru to be able to put cards back on top of your deck when you want to, save them for later, draw into them again using things like Professor's Research, or even just the actual main bread and butter way of getting Jirachi Prison Star into your prizes, getting an extra prize when you draw it and place it onto your bench. There's lots of different things that you can do with that deck. And that's not even talking about Sarsian V as a very good utility attacker and very powerful ability. It's got that absolutely amazing ability to be able to draw cards directly off the top of the deck when you can't do anything else, right? Like if you don't want to yeah. attack, you can just end your turn drawing cards on the top of your deck and that's perfect. Being able to draw those three cards is only the tip of the iceberg because if you get metal energy in that, you can just attach it to him right away. And mm. therefore, next turn, you have your attacker charged up already. While a lot of people might think that that ability is just a good support, can't deny the fact that the attack is just so good as well. Obviously, we spent a bit of time talking about Zacian V. Let's move on to the next deck. And one that I thought was probably going to be higher placed, really, to deal with a lot of the other decks in the metagame and something we saw a lot in the Invitational, and that's Blacephalon. And I think only having one that's graduated through uh, that made it into the, the qualifying period is kind of indicative of how polarizing that deck can be. When it works, oh boy, does it work. But when it fails, sometimes it fails really hard. Like you said, it's all based around Welder. Uh, and if how fast your start is going to be is dependent on if you can get those Welders in time, attach those mm. fire energies, and then you have to get the energies in hand as well. It is one of those decks that basically plays four of every card that it needs to. And I really do love those decks. It was number three on popularity for the week one, but just one coming through that's definitely a, a little bit less of a good ratio compared to something else. Yeah, I think it would be quite disappointed in itself, to be honest. Just uh, teetering <laughs> around on terms of viability and fantastic deck. Obviously, like no, no discredit to anyone who ran Lucephalon because it is a very powerful deck when it gets going, but it also just can struggle if you don't get the welder in time, if you lack a key attachment when you need to, getting a fire crystal, even just supporting it can be difficult enough. And I think that's reflected in the qualifying here. It's similar to Spiritomb, I find, in terms of like yeah. the, the frailty of the deck. It doesn't have that strong backbone. It kind of relies on you maintaining resources that your opponent can interrupt with things like Reset Stamp or Marnie. Yeah, a uh, biggest weakness of the deck is just hand disruption and uh we we saw it quite a few times uh throughout the weeks as well just the fact that almost any deck plays reset stamp except for something mm. like blacephalon kind of just puts it already on the back foot it can completely destroy a strategy that you've been planning for the rest of the game and considering you're wanting to rebuild the assets that you've wasted with blacephalon like it can be very difficult to do that with when you've only got one to two cards in your hand. Lastly, and I think this is a really interesting inclusion to the decks that qualified, Lucario and Melmetal GX alongside Zacian V, a more defensively minded deck, and but still obviously incredible incredible amounts of power. Yeah, uh, it, it's one of those decks that is a real big metagame call, and it's something that's very good against Dragapult VMAX or even Pikachu and Zekrom GX. Uh, but it's something that's kind of a little worse against something like Blacephalon or something that could take advantage of your weakness, uh, even though you do have cards like Metal Frying Pan to kind mm. of mitigate that. But with Tool Scrapper in the format now, it's a little less stable, but it's great to see it pop up because Lucario and Melmetal GX is one of my favorite tag teams, and it has so many different like outs for its attacks. Like So its first attack, Steel Fist, being able to accelerate energy onto it, and mm. then its GX attack with full metal GX being able to just put a long-term uh, metal frying pan on all your Pokemon kind of thing. Exactly. Reduce 30 damage from all your metal Pokemon, as well as discarding energy from your opponent's active Pokemon. That could come up huge. Especially when it's already got such a high HP range. If you're partnering that with Zacian V, with already outrageous amounts of damage due to its attacks you know that you're onto a winner here when you're absorbing so much damage before your opponent can even deal it. I think important to note is that this deck doesn't include Jirachi Prison Star. This is a straight attacking uh, Lucario and Melmetal GX plus Zacian V, whereas the Jirachi Prison Star 
decks which go alongside Zacian V sometimes do run Lucario and Melmetal Tag Team GX, but not in the quantities that we've seen yeah. in this deck in particular. And they're very different decks too. Like mm, yeah. one has a much better matchup against those single prize decks. Combo Zacian is one of those decks that can actually keep up with Spiritomb or Blacephalon if you get those combo turns. Meanwhile, Lucario and Melmetal GX, you could get your Pokemon knocked out and now your opponent's up three prizes because you have that tag team in your deck and it's a lot harder to come back. It's going to be so interesting to see where the qualifying players go from here. This is effectively almost the, the end of the format because we're going to have rotation, we're going to have Darkness Ablaze being introduced for the finals of the TCG. So there's a lot of shakeup coming into the next stage of the tournament. Some decks will be not as viable as they were before due to the environment around them changing. And so it's really nice to be able to get a snapshot of what decks performed top of the range, a snapshot of everything that people love from the Players' Cup for this particular part of rotation. And I'm really, really interested to see where it's going to go from here, Jeremy. There's a ton of new cards coming out that are really going to shake up. I think Darkness Ablaze is probably one of those sets that will introduce more new archetypes instead of mm. just enhancing a lot of the ones that we already have. Granted, I still think Dragapult VMAX is really good. I still think Pikachu and Zekrom's uh, GX is really good. Who knows what popular decks are going to come out on top with the new set and what counters they have for that. I, I know Pikachu and Zekrom GX hasn't always really done well against stuff that is fighting type. And one of the new Pokemon coming out that's getting a lot of hype is weak to fighting as well. So it could just kind of get a little shrapnel uh, to the side. It's going to be so interesting to see. And this is always the great thing about TCG rotation when there's a, a stream coming alongside it is that you get to see what people value from the very beginning. And I'm, I'm super excited. Obviously, we're still a few weeks away from the TCG finals that you get to watch. But don't worry, on this show, we'll be talking you through some of the best cards coming out in Darkness Ablaze, some things that are going out of rotation. And as we get towards the finals, a real deep dive into the players who have made it into the top 16. Jeremy, Thank you so much. It's been a delight to talk to you. Oh, it's been awesome. Thank you for having me. Kicking it into character select for Pokémon Tournament DX now with Brendan. And this is it, Brendan. We are just about to go into the finals. Eight players have been whittled down and we are going to see who out of them is going to be the champion for the Players' Cup. I am so incredibly excited for these finals, Jay. The, the players who have qualified, in addition to Wingtide from the Invitational, I think are poised to showcase sort of the perfect uh, encapsulation of Pokémon, not just this summer, but in a lot of ways, Pokémon tournament up to this point in history ever, which is really exciting for me. Bold words from a bold man there, but I think we've got some bold players that we really want to be talking about and letting the people at, no at home know who they're going to be seeing on the stream. And starting with North America, and a player that I think if you've seen the Invitational, you'll know a little bit about, and that is going to be Shadowcat. Yes, Shadowcat, just a fantastic player, so well known for uh, his risk aversion, plays Breaksin and Darkrai, two characters that he can move into positions on the screen where he can take as little, as few risks as possible and really get the maximum reward. So really excited mm. to see how Shadowcat performs this tournament. Obviously, in the Invitational, falling very quickly to the winner of the Invitational, Wingtide. So we'll see if he's ready, how he's prepared. Yeah, I think you've captured a really good part about Shadowcat there, about the intelligence of which he plays and the characters that he chooses give him so many different options. And when we saw him in the Invitational, we saw the power of Darkrai used against Roxo. Roxo, a Garchomp main and Darkrai able to really capitalize on some of the slower character traits of that. And I think we've also seen in the, the, the tournament afterwards, when we got to see Shadowcat play on stream, that he has such intelligent ways of being able to deal with even difficult matchups like Chandelure. During the, the regional qualifiers week, of course, Shadowcat qualifying through the, the regionals after missing it in the Invitational, uh, he made that, that matchup look like a, a breeze. His matchup knowledge, you, you mentioned intelligence, was just so, so perfect. And I think he really won that game against Soul Guitarist, one of our, our future qualifiers that we'll talk about later, the Chandelure player, uh, look like a breeze, but it was a really difficult matchup. So I'm just impressed by mm. Shadowcat's uh, mastery of the understanding of the, the mechanics of the game. He, he's mechanically one of the, I think, most perfect players I've ever seen play. I think, you know, as a, a top 
Pokémon player. And I know from watching the stream and having it drilled into me every time that Darkrai appears on the screen, Darkrai is a difficult character to play and Shadowcat makes it look so fluid, especially when you factor in getting up Bad Dreams Rising is a big part of Darkrai's tactics. It wants to be taking control of dual phase with Bad Dreams Rising up. And there are times where Shadowcat, if he can't make it through, will be able to find that little opening, find that one chance to be able to make it work, and that will cause a big swing of momentum for him. Yeah, absolutely. So for folks who aren't familiar with Pokémon, Darkrai is a really interesting character because he's built around these two modes of play. He has his normal mode, which he's an okay character. He, he really doesn't have the strongest tools in the game in this mode. He's all about landing a Dark Void. And once you can land a Dark Void, you transport to this super powerful Bad Dreams Rising mode where all the lighting turns into Darkrai's in the background. It's it's clearly Darkrai controls the screen, which he does literally through the mechanics as well. Very neon. Yes, very, very neon. <laughs> um, and uh, Shadowcat just makes getting into Bad Dreams Rising mode through those dark voids look easy, but it's really not supposed mm. to be. It's really supposed to be tough. Though we also saw in his play in the regional qualifiers, that Chandelier game you mentioned, he can play mm. well outside of it too. He's very patient. Oh, for sure. Um, and I think... I'm just excited to see, because Shadowcat labs the game so well, you know, he goes into training mode, he explores specific situations and interactions, what changes he's made to his game plan to maybe make him ready to play against Machamp or Aegislash, uh, who he fell to in the Invitational. I think that's one of the things that he's going to be most looking to prove in this tournament, right? That difficult matchups he can overcome in the online regional qualifier, showing that skill level is there, but he really wants another go at some of the best in the world from the Invitational. I know that he's going to get the opportunity to, because we've got a, a fair few of them making their way through from North America and obviously Wingtide coming in from winning the Invitational as well. A little bit of background for Shadowcat, just for the people at home. He did come third in the World Championships in 2019, the highest placing North American trainer there, non-Japanese trainer there as well. So really strong resume going into this stage of the competition. I'm sure he's gonna be one to watch out for, as are all the other trainers. If Shadowcat wins this, this would absolutely be his biggest win of all time and continue his his upward trend and quest for being the best in North America, which I think he, he really has uh, a claim, a potential claim to. And, and winning this event would absolutely solidify that, I think, in a lot of people's minds. Well, he's not the only representative from North America. We have a fair few to get through. And the next one that we are going to be talking about is Deity Light. Oh my goodness, Jay. I, I can't really contain my excitement about the fact that the Deity Light is in this, one, played in this tournament, two, has qualified for, for this tournament. So a little bit of background. Mm. Deity Light is one of the, the, the most old school players imaginable in Pokémon tournament in North America. So he was incredibly strong in the game in 2016 when the game first came out. Uh, the first year mm. we had a championship series. He originally played Suicune and then saw a lot of people talking poorly about his favorite Pokémon, Lucario. People were saying, Lucario's not that strong. Uh, he's a character that, that maybe needs some help in terms of buffs. And Deity Light, back in 2016, said, no, no, this character's amazing. I'm going to pick him up and show you all how to play, play this character. So at his first event, got second, qualified for Worlds, and then at Worlds was the, ended up getting third playing Lucario. And I think him doing that with Lucario, I know I'm monologuing a little bit here, but there's just so much history that, that I know some people won't know. So he played Lucario, played him so well, uh, beat this le legendary former Lucario player, Tanoshimi, who dropped Lucario for Mewtwo that first year. And then after that event, being beat by Deity Light, he picked Lucario back up. He would inspire players like Swee Master, an amazing North American player, to pick up Lucario. So I, th I really think this is sort of like lost history. Without Deity Light, there's no Lucario in the North American meta in the way it would happen. So, so this is the return of a former legend who in so many people's minds, had disappeared forever. He was, a, he was a footnote in history. He comes into the Invitational, beats Jukum, the former world yes. champion, to qualify. It's just, this is, this is why I say this is going to span the, the whole history of Pokémon. Because DD Light coming back is just unbelievable. Other trainers said that Lucario needs a buff, and I think DD Light is the buff that Lucario needed. A Such an intelligent player, obviously, as you mentioned, storied history, but also the fact that can turn it around for a tournament like this, take on Dukem, a previous world champion at the height of his powers as well. I think this is a, a trainer we'll be talking about a little bit later on, spoilers alert. But again, such a fantastic showing from Deity Light. And Lucario is a really interesting character who has so many good options. It's not a stellar character, not one of the top tier Pokemon that you're looking to expect when you go into a Pokemon tournament, tournament but 
it is a Pokemon that has so many different options and generally runs the gamut of average against most other Pokemon. And it really shows the caliber of the player who plays them. Lucario is sort of a jack of all trades and master at none. He, he's sort of fantastic at everything, but exceptional at Basically nothing except for the fact that his burst synergy burst mode is exceptional, is fantastic. So excited to see how DD Light uses that. DD Light also in 2016 was very well known for using Bone Rush. Lucario's sort of advancing lunge, it deletes projectiles, mm. it catch, it's very quick, can catch players off guard. So I'm curious to see how he'll use that. We talked about Shadowcat being a patient player. DD Light also a patient player, but I would say he's willing to mix in uh, explosive points of aggression where he just puts out this really risky wild option that you'd never expect and because you won't expect it it catches his opponents completely off guard that's the mark of a top player though isn't it just to be able to set the pace yes. and continually test your opponent once they try to adjust to you i'm really interested to see what deity light is going to do moving forward in this tournament but there are other north american trainers that we want to mention and we brought them up slightly earlier against shadow cat but Soul Guitarist, a trainer that warrants their own little talk through, especially when we see that they are a Chandelure specialist. And Chandelure is a, a Pokemon that we've mentioned before, Brendan, you and I, about how we think that could really pair up and mix things up in terms of a smaller tournament pool. Yeah, so Soul Guitarist, oh my goodness, this is another player I'm so excited for, Jay. Uh, Chandelure, of course, uh, one of the most powerful zoners in Pokemon Tournament, and one of the characters who's been storied as giving Wingtide's two characters, Machamp and Aegislash, perhaps the most trouble. But Chandelure mm. had fallen out of the meta a little bit this last summer, and especially since Wingtide's uh, sort of meteoric rise over the last two years in EU Pokemon. So this might be a true test for Wingtide if Soul Guitarist and Wingtide have the opportunity to meet. Soul Guitarist, mm. uh, uh, an old, old school Chandelure player, played the game since the very beginning, but never really had the chance to leave his region. So with the Players' Cup being online, had the chance to, to get in and show his stuff and, and took out some incredible players on the way. Took out TEC, mm -hmm. the best scissor player in North America. Roxo, of course, one of the invitational players who was trying to qualify. Uh, and then Junior Jam, probably the best Gengar in North America today. An incredible run going into that tournament. And obviously, when you're a player thinking about getting through to the finals, you know that there's going to be even stronger opponents going through. But you've already run such a high caliber of players that you're going up against. So you must be confident going into this. And I also want to talk a little bit about the options of support that um, Soul Guitarist used alongside Chandelure. And it's, it's Reshiram, which is a Pokemon that used to be very popular back in the very beginning of the Pokemon Tournament series back in 2016. Fallen off a little bit, but it has some really nice tools to be able to support Chandelure, especially when you want to be keeping away and throwing as many hazards as you can at every single Pokemon on the field. Reshiram really is Soul Guitarist's signature support. He's used this support since 2016 uh, because Reshiram, and no one else does. I haven't seen Reshiram in a tournament in, in maybe two years. Maybe longer mm. if we're talking top, top level. Maybe since 2016. Uh, and he uses it, though, because he has a really specific game plan, like you mentioned. Reshiram, a single-use support, so you can only call it once. Um, but when you do, it pushes the opponent all the way back to full screen. So Chandler, a zoner, all about trying to keep those characters far away. Once they get in, he can call Reshiram and force them back out. So it, it offers a zoning reset. And Soul Guitarist mm. uses it so perfectly. We saw eight games of him versus Shadowcat in the regional qualifiers week three, and he called it every single game. So, so just really good uh, resource management and a, a great example of a character of a player who clearly knows his game plan through and through. Also an aggressive player, a Chandelier. So I think a lot of players aren't necessarily gonna know what to expect from Soul Guitarist, and that's going to play to his advantage. He's been using this Pokemon since the very beginning, and both his main, Chandelure, and his support, Reshiram, are throwbacks, as well as Deity Light making his way through to this part of the tournament as well. These are some old-school players who really are coming back and showing the amount of knowledge and amount of skill that they've possessed from the very beginning of the game. The last trainer that I want to talk about from North America, the last qualifying player going into the finals, is definitely one of the more new-school players, and even though he's won the highest accolade that you can in the, the Pokemon world, the world championship title, Jukum is still out to improve. I, I could wax poetic about Jukum's play on and on and on. He's really one of my favorite players of all time to watch. He, he plays Sceptile and Empoleon. Sceptile, one of the best characters in the game, and Empoleon, one of the flashiest characters in the game, but not a character that really anyone besides Jukum uses in the competitive environment. He just moves with his characters better than about anyone else in the world. Uh, it's almost athletic in the way that he does it, which is, it's sort of strange to think, how could someone play 
like play a video game athletically, but his movement and just every single thing is so perfectly connected. There's no moment of pause. It, it's just, it, it's it's almost beautiful, but that's just a testament to how much I love Pokken too. I think, I think you're right though. When I've watched Jukin play, there has been this almost psychic link yes. in terms of the way that he brings out the best in the characters, especially when you see him playing Sceptile. It's honestly mesmerizing, just purely from the fact that it's relentless. It's yeah. absolutely relentless. And that comes from so much practice that comes from high level practice against the best players in the world. And of thorough understanding of the matchup and the character that you're playing. And there's so much heart behind Jukum's play too, which which is something that I love about him. He, he plays with, with such confidence. He's not afraid to make wild reads when he, he feels he has those reads, which is always exciting to watch. Leafstorm being a, a tool that he goes to a oh, lot. Yeah. In the Invitational, his set versus Jukum, excuse me, against Wingtide was so close. So if he has the chance for the opportunity for run for a run back, Wingtide, of course, sending Jukum to losers, I I'd be really curious to see who'd come out on top of that one. I think it's anyone's game. Well, I mean, we've already seen that there's so many stories coming out of the online regional qualifier itself, but also from the Invitational. This finals, even just on the North American side, looks like it's going to be drama all over the place. I always have confidence in Shadowcat and Jukum, uh, but Didi Light and, and Soul Guitarist total wildcards who could undoubtedly upset anyone in this bracket. Well, let's move away from North America now. There's still some other top trainers that we need to talk about from Europe. And let's start off with Fabulous. Fabulous, another fantastic player. I had a lot of confidence that he would qualify going in and I'm just so pleased that he was one of those players who came out of the regional qualifiers, making it into these finals. He has, he's the player from Europe who's qualified the most for Worlds, I believe. Incredibly consistent, uh, plays lots of characters, but most likely to see Pikachu Libre from him. Yeah, we saw him play Pikachu Libre on stream and a very, very incredible match against Fuig, who's playing Garchomp. And it was really dramatic. I think they, both trainers showcased what they wanted to do in exceptional style. and. I think also for the trainers at home, a little bit of background about Fabulous. Top four at the European International Championships in 2019 and a ninth place finish at the World Championships in 2019 as well. So a trainer at the height of their powers and wanting to show exactly how far they can go to everyone at home. Fabi in that in that set versus Fuwig just reminded me so much of why I love watching uh, Fabi's play because Fabi plays like mm -hmm. no one else in the world. He does things with Pikachu Libre that no one else does. His reactions are so good. He's incredibly patient. He's really creative. Uh, Fabi being in any tournament is an incredible addition. Uh, I'm excited he's there. From Germany, of course, too. Uh, so good to see Germany represented in the finals. Obviously, Fabi will be joining Wingtide, the, uh, the winner from the Invitational Tournament going into it, and a, a player that we know best for crushing their opponents with Machamp. Yes, Wingtide, Wingtide, Wingtide. What what more can you, I don't, Machamp and Wingtide are just have become so intertwined. One of the best players at the, the read and mix-up game of all time. Mm. And also one of the players who got the best, the fastest at Pokken. He sort of appeared on the scene and then was maybe in six months, nine months, one of the best. And he sort of blew us all away. Yeah, and came first at the European International Championship where um, Fabulous came top four, so the 2019 European International Championship. Uh, just a amazing, amazing player and not just dedicated to Machamp, a, a trainer who understands that there are certain things that Machamp can't do, even though it will generally try and bust its way through most opportunities when it can, but also has an Aegislash ready. And that's a really good, slightly more mobile, slightly more long range way of being able to deal with some of the common matchups that people want to swing against Machamp. We saw in his set against Shadowcat in the Invitational just how important that Aegislash could be to him. Both characters fantastic at forcing your opponent to guess. We talked about how Shadowcat doesn't like to make people guess. Wingtide's all about it. He just wants to put you in guess after guess after guess because he knows he mm. can come out on top of it. Um, and his Aegislash too, I think one thing that I love about Wingtide's Aegislash, you know, Aegislash built around, uh, just like VGC, uh, sword and shield form, swapping between those two modes persistently. He gets an attack buff if he uh, swaps between from shield form to sword form. Uh, and Wingtide, one of the, the Aegislash players who just tries to spend as much time as possible in sword form. He never wants to be in shield form except for a, a, qu a quick trip to, to pull a buff uh, and then right back into sword form to go on the offense. <laughs> That's my kind of player, to be honest. Yeah. Yep. Also, like, not, not aggression, without thought though it's a very calculated way of playing and i think a really good example of this is obviously back in the invitational we saw aegislash was brought against shadow cats breakson and it was an incredible game and both players really really duking it out in such a strong manner but i think it was wingtide that was able to 
just edge it. And I think if there's an opportunity to see Shadowcat against Wingtide again, that is a match that you cannot miss. Oh, I, I would be so, so excited to see that. I know that Shadowcat would be would be a little bit more ready, I think, for the Aegislash pick. And I think part of what makes Wingtide so powerful is he's one of the best players at putting fear into his opponents. Just through the way he plays the game uh, and the way he makes you guess, it, it's terrifying. And he plays two terrifying characters. And I have to think maybe this time, uh, Shadowcat would feel a little bit more like he had nothing to lose. Once you can take that fear as a tool away, it makes Wingtide slightly, but not a ton easier uh, to go up against. We need to move on to the next trainer from Europe, but also to capitalize on that point about the intimidation factor. Yeah. And even though their main character is very small, I think there's a lot of intimidation factor coming out from Kira when she plays Pikachu Libre, the way that she is aggressive, in your face, smothering completely all over you, really ready and brave to make those risky moves and take momentum away from other trainers is something that I think is just electrifying to watch on stream. She's super aggressive, super confident in her play, as you said, and I think her play style matches the sort of energetic, high-flying potential of Libre really well. If, mm. if Bobulus is a more grounded and patient Libre, Kira is the complete opposite. She, she's always in the air. She's, she's never afraid to sort of go for the, the flashy option. You know, really well known for her sort of uh, key support pick, Latios, always running Latios, another uncommon legendary support. And in my opinion, has really proven the viability of that support. And it was key to an incredible comeback she had during the regional qualifiers that helped her uh, eke out and snag one of these qualifying spots for herself and for France. The aggression needs to come with thought in this game. You yep. can't just be throwing out options because you could be caught napping by any interactions between the attack triangle, but also if you press a button at the wrong time, you can be led into a, a counter from your opponent. They can be able to get some slight damage and be able to combo off of it. And this is where I think Latios gives some really good options for Kira. It traps people in with Luster Purge. It creates pillars of light, which slowly draw together and make a cage. And this is where Kira can camp in front of them and wait for opportunities to either land attacks as they try to move out of the cage or throw off some damage with a throw. And it just makes it unblockable. Yes, it's it's so, so scary because as it encloses in on you, you know your chance of escape is, is just dwindling faster and faster. Um, and like you said, if she throws out that Electroweb, even if you try to attack through it, if Kira times it right, the, the Luster Purge will catch punishing you anyway. And oh, for your trouble, getting caught by it, you, you're going to have a defense debuff to live with for 5, 8, 11 seconds, uh, even longer in some cases, depending on how many hits of that Luster Purge you have. So we'll, we'll know to be on the lookout for that in this tournament. She also notably, in her last really, uh, her last event, she had a 30-minute set against Wingtide that she almost, almost, almost won. It came down to the very last read in the very last possible round. Uh, so I know that she is uh, poised and ready to, to show the world what she has in this tournament. Brendan, I'm tired just thinking about that length of a Pokémon Tournament DX match. I think I'd be knackered just watching it. I really hope we get to see a run back, though. That sounds like an incredibly storied game if they get to pair up against each other. Definitely. I, it, it would be incredible. And also Machamp Pikachu Libre, uh, a matchup that a lot of players have said is bad for Pikachu Libre. For a long time, that can be really tough to play against the Machamp. I think Kira is one of the players who could probably prove otherwise, so, so that'd be really cool to see too. See if we have any impacts mm. on the meta in that sense. I think we need to talk about the last from Oceania, and this is a way more established player, a very knowledgeable player. That's Antwerp, and a trainer that I know that you have a lot to say about, Brendan. Yes, Antwerp, an, an incredible, incredible player from Oceania. The only player in in Oceania, to my knowledge, who's top aiding every single time. But he he's just very steadfast, consistent. Antwerp has this really cool style in that he very setup trap based. Um, also similar to Shadowcat, not wanting to overcommit and with Sceptile, able to set up leech seeds, able to set up bullet seeds, uh, that just put you in these really horrible situations. Antwerp also one of the best perfect blockers in his region. Uh, perfect blocking, of course, an advanced technique in Pokémon Tournament, where if in field phase, you, you block just a few frames, just microseconds, before a single hitting move impacts your shield, you can get a punish that you wouldn't normally use. Uh, I'm always excited mm. to see perfect blocking because it's really tough in Antwerp, one of the best of that. And also, I think Sceptile, a Pokemon that can make the best use out of a perfect block. It's already so speedy anyway. Getting that little jump on your opponent just to be able to get in close and mix things up sounds really, really dangerous. I think one other thing to mention about Antwerp is that Noct 
really early into the loser's bracket in the Oceania Online Regional Qualifier by surfing Santa and then made it all the way through the gambit, all the way to the grand finals, reset the bracket and qualified through that. So the, the amount of stamina and the amount of control and knowledge that he exerted to be able to qualify for this tournament is incredible. You're totally right. It's so difficult to, to lose early in a double elimination bracket and then make it all the way back and win. Even more difficult to do that against the person who sent you to the loser's bracket in the first place. I'm really excited that Antwerp is finally getting his chance to sort of play on the world stage in front of everyone. Living in Australia, it can be tough to make it out to some of the bigger yeah. events besides the Oceania Internationals. Uh, so this has been a long time coming. Australia Pokin and the, the scene there is amazing. Uh, Oceania Pokin is amazing too. And Antwerp, an incredible representative who anytime I get to watch him play, great. But playing against some of the best of the world, even better. So those are all of our qualifying trainers. And I think by my math reckoning, quick maths, by the way, I think that's two Pikachu Libre, two Sceptile, one Darkrai, one Chandelure, one Lucario, and one Machamp in the bracket. Brendan, do you have any thoughts on who you think might be able to make it through and take the first ever Players' Cup Championship title? Jay, this is such a hard question. It's such a bad spot to be in. Oh my goodness. Okay, so sorry, pressure. <laughs> I, I love it. It's it's tough. Wingtide looked so so strong, but mm. I have a lot of confidence in Jukum and Shadowcat too. I think they've been practicing, mm. and I think that now that they have a chance to sort of study study Wingtide's play, uh, I have to I have to wonder if there's a chance that Jukum or uh, Shadowcat could maybe take Wingtide out. If I had to pick a favorite, I think I might pick Shadowcat. Uh, I know that he he was upset. He he was beaten pretty badly by Wingtide. Uh, but I just have yeah. this confidence in Shadowcat. He's been getting better and better and better since 2016. Uh, and he's been one of the best since then. I, I just feel like this this might be his time. This might be his event. We'll see. Yeah, my, my heart, honestly, is saying that Kira and Wingtide are going to be incredible to watch yeah. in this stream. But if I was... Going to pick one. Uh, I think I'd go with you on Shadowcat as well, just purely from the intelligence factor. We've seen such amazing play from Shadowcat coming out and definitely a player who's out to prove themselves and will have been all over every single piece of information that they can get going into this finals. And I think uh, a real force to be reckoned with, especially coming off a, a loss in the Invitational and a bit of a pride wound. I also know he's been practicing breaks in a little bit. Breaks in in the last tournament looks a little bit rocky, but uh, that's sort of that's his original character. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see the Breaks in come out, and I think that could give him an edge. We'll see. We'll see. That's exactly the point. We we don't know here, but we can only find out when we get to watch the official stream, which will be coming out on August fifteenth, this Saturday. That's when it's going to begin. It's both days, Saturday and Sunday, starting around eleven a.m. Pacific time. So make sure that you are watching. It's going to be an absolute blast. Brendan, thank you so much. Jay, thank you so much. This has been incredible. Always fantastic talking Pokemon with you. Okay, trainers, now it's time for something a little different. Here we're going to try a question of the week style format. And this one, I've cooked up something special. Okay, Ace Trainers, here we go. You are now the owner of a cafe or restaurant in the Pokemon world. Which Pokemon work for you? I'm gonna ask Brendan first. Oh my goodness. I thought long and hard about this one. I could not start a restaurant without Celebi. I need Celebi in mm. case anything falls, fall, if we miss anything, mess anything up, a little time travel, snap back in time, <laughs> correct all the orders. We'd never mess anything up. I, I think I would Perfect. only need Celebi. Yeah, I mean, you could just take all your time in the world to be able to do anything. Exactly. Snap back, refresh. That's cheating. <laughs> The power oh, yeah, of Pokemon. So, okay, Celebi is a good choice. A solid, solid pick. I mean, it probably would solve a lot of issues for every single vocation that there is, but good use for a restaurant or cafe. Kay, <laughs> what are you thinking? I mean, I'm thinking Celebi looks a bit like a spring onion and having it in the kitchen might just be a bit mean. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> but assuming that Celebi doesn't get upset uh, by the chopping of spring onions, I have to say I'm going to be really like unimaginative because I've seen Minchino in Pokemon Cafe Mix and Minchino in a tiny, tiny apron with its tiny, tiny hat has absolutely Aww. won my heart over. You know, but there's also, you know, it's practical. It can clean. It can look cute to draw people in. It can wear a tiny apron. I mean, what more What more convincing do you need? I'm very easily swayed. I like the, the cleaning went first, even though in your heart, <laughs> the tiny apron was the primary reason to have this. I figured I'd, I'd try and like 
pretend that I wasn't just won over by the apron and had a practical reason for this, but it's it's Mingino in the tiny apron. I can't lie. Jeremy, have you got any thoughts on this? Yeah, I'm going more practical. Uh, Thank you. No time travel <laughs> shenanigans here or anything like that. Bye. Uh, first Pokemon to come to my mind would be probably the greatest sous chef in the world. You would have all the prep cut in half, and that is Scyther. Ooh. He is going to Julianne all those, all those uh, veggies and... Uh, get those steaks chopped up nice and he's your just in-house butcher. Definitely. Yeah. And long reach with that. So you can line up all the veggies, all the meat in one go, use different parts of the yeah. scythes just to be able to get the speed and, and depth of cutting that you need. Like just imagine like hibachi grill where they're cooking for you, but it's just scythers. I think you just need to uh, keep a well away from any open flame, though, for Cypher. I think, <laughs> I think the fire type damage might be quite significant there. Hey, if Sandshrew can swim then anything is possible for Scyther, all right? Fair enough. I've also been thinking along the lines of Sue Chef, and I was immediately drawn to a Pokemon that might have many arms. And I know what you're thinking. You're all thinking, mm. Jay loves Machamp. He's going to choose Machamp. But Machamp is very, very happy directing traffic. We all know this. So, so Cofagrigus, right? Bring that, like, that friendly restaurant atmosphere. I mean, it's not the pick that I made, but it's quite close in terms of the, the way people will probably react to seeing who's the Sue Chef. I went for Barbarical. No, um, no. I mean, it's, it's all arms and hands. So. Like, I wasn't going to vi visit this restaurant when it was Cofagrigus. I'm definitely not visiting it when it's Barbarical. I think you're going to get stared out by multiple hands and multiple eyes no. for that comment, Kay. All right. Great chef. I love Barbarical. None of us went for things that, you know, had knowledge of food or prepare, like, you know, find the best ingredients. We just went all straight in for the, like, what more? Weird what's stuff, the aesthetic yes. of my restaurant? What's this one specific task I need a Pokemon for? <laughs> Very true. I, I mean, like, I was thinking, oh, Slurpuff would be a great choice. It's got the nose to be able to pick out the best ingredients and stuff. And I was like, I don't want to hang out with Slurpuff. <laughs> Not really. Oh, but Barbarical. Well, I mean, it's... Sue chefs are going to be grumpy all the time anyway. I think also Barbarical needs all the opportunities it can get, okay? <laughs> That's one way to kick off a series then, isn't it? Um, trainers at home, if you'd like to be involved with Question of the Week, have your name and question read out on the, po on the podcast, or if you just want to let us know what you're thinking regarding the Players' Cup, please get involved using the hashtag PlayPokemonPodcast on Twitter. We'll be going through week to week to see your thoughts and also select one lucky question to be given all the love and attention that it deserves on this show. So please let us know. Next up, just a few thoughts to close out the show. We are obviously a podcast, which means that we are available on most places where podcasts can be listened to. The main ones that you might want to subscribe to would be on Spotify, Google Podcasts, the Play Store, and Apple Podcasts. So make sure you're subscribed there. Give us some ratings. Give us some reviews. We really appreciate it. It will help people find the show and build a community who love competitive Pokemon. But... We are also a video cast. So if you'd like to trade in your headphones to be able to see our gorgeous faces, you can find us on the official Pokemon YouTube and the official Pokemon Twi Twitch channel uh, every Wednesday. So make sure that you're checking us out and subscribe to both those channels to see all of our uploads. Other than that, I just want to say a huge thank you to our Ace Trainers for this week. We've had some incredible insights and a load of fun. And I think we've really kicked off the series in the right way. All that's left to say is thank you so much trainers at home for listening. Look after yourselves and remember, when it comes to Pokemon, we've got the play. <laughs>